Wow, beautiful church. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for that beautiful truth. I thank you that we can gather, we do gather for one reason, and that is to praise your glorious name. Lord, we come here so that we can seek and soak in your glory, so that as sent ones, we might be glory revealers to a world that needs to see a God of pursuing grace. I pray that that would be the end of our gathered time today, that we would feel closer to you as you press your image deeper into us. And from that place, we would just look more beautiful, smell and taste more like Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may uh, please remain standing for the reading of the word. While Evan comes up here, um, I was just thinking last week when I was doing the service, Lisa, before you start reading, I'm going to... Um, so when, when we get done, we have somebody read. I'm gonna, we're gonna, um, when they get done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And you will respond, because we are a responsive church. You will respond, thanks be to God. So we're going to practice right now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, now you may go, Evan. Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came to the, came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord is coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from cords of camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For, f for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to, to hear and see John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when many Pharisees and Sadducees came coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Pro prove by the way you live and by the... And by you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now an axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does produce, that does not Produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who, will, who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am not worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will... He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and and winnow, winnowing fork. He, then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning the chaff, never ending fire. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Great job, Evan. Well done. Yeah. The, um, how does it feel to to read God's word from a stage you helped build over the last couple of days? Kind of fun. Yeah, and thank you for your help with that as well. So uh, let me ask you a question. We're just going to jump right in. So let me ask you a question. To 
see and seek forgiveness, like to see forgiveness happen, what must take place? To see and seek forgiveness, like what must occur? Like what, what has to happen? There's more than one right answer. So what, what does that look like to seek and to see forgiveness? Michelle. Okay, so acknowledge that you, so, some, so recognition, good, what else? I'm sorry, okay, so like somehow like a, a, some sort of response, good, what else? So we have recognition, response, what else? Recognizing that you've done wrong, good. All of it, so, so things like recognition and recognizing you've done wrong and saying I'm sorry, these all require what kind of a heart posture? A repentant heart, to use the word like for today, what else? Humble heart, a contrite heart, a broken heart, right? Like this, that, that's the idea for, for us to be able to see and seek forgiveness at whatever level that is. That might be something, obviously, what we're talking about today is between us and the Lord first and foremost, but it might be in a relationship that really matters, like you and your spouse or you and your children, but it might just be something as simple as um, how you maybe treated someone on the freeway. And, and how maybe in your own heart you need to stop and like repent of that and say, how do I like practice forgiveness in that moment, right? But, but it all has to start from a place of humility. So what we're talking about today is we're, we're, we're continuing in Matthew. This is, our, um, this is our second month, I guess, in, the, in, the, um, in, the, in this thing we're calling, in the series we're calling the kingdom of heaven. But we're starting into Matthew chapter 3. And what we're looking at is this idea of preparing the way we haven't even really gotten to jesus's ministry yet lord willing that will start actually in a couple of weeks next week we'll look at his baptism um, and then we'll look at his temptations in the wilderness and then we'll get to sort of him launching his ministry and interacting with people but we're but we're talking today about preparing the way and and the question we're talking about today is how are you being used to prepare the kingdom of god like how are you being used for this kingdom preparation now, I want you to think about this as we're talking today at two different levels. And, we can, and it was really, it's always interesting how the Holy Spirit orchestrates our prayer time because he, he orchestrated that, the prayers that you guys all prayed at both levels. So at one level, we're talking about preparing the kingdom at, at like the global level. So how is the church and you as a member of the church, how are you being used to prepare the kingdom of God? Because that's what we're here to do. But I also want you to think about it from a personal level. So individually, what are you doing to prepare your own heart? And so maybe for some of you, you're not followers of Christ, and it's, and it's actually preparing your heart for him to take up residency. And, and I pray that today would be the day. But maybe for those of us that are already saved, it might just be like, what are we continually doing to prepare our hearts for his presence? So, so we're making room for him. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. And in this passage, the, um, Matthew's going to show us three things just in, in the verses that Evan just read. He's going to show us that first, we have to proclaim repentance, right? Then we have to prove repentance. And then we want to remember that we are full of like power-filled repentance, that there's security in repentance in Christ. So let's jump right in. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 3. Let me turn there. I didn't yet. So Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to look at our first point, this idea, what does it look like to proclaim repentance with our lives? And so in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, as we look at the question of how are you preparing the way for the kingdom, 
This is how John the Baptist did it. He says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a minute and back up. I'm going to back up even further than John. Let's start with, let's start with what Matthew just did. Because here's what Matthew just did. He just flew past like 30 years of history. Because he left us with like the baby in the wilderness and wandering off to eat and, and fleeing to Egypt and coming back and moving to Nazareth. And he spends little or no time talking about the, the early years of Jesus' life, right? That's pretty much, that's all Matthew gives us. Now, Luke gives us a little more, and we'll talk more about that next week when, G, when Jesus actually shows up on the scene at his baptism. But, but one of the things I just want to, I want to plant the seed today and remind you of over and over is that Jesus was, was born king, but he was not born, like he didn't pop out of the womb and go, okay, I am king, bring me gifts, right? He Luke describes in a couple of different places where he grows in wisdom and maturity, talking about Jesus. So, so Matthew just skipped that whole section that Luke talks about in Luke chapter 2, about, about how our king grew in wisdom and knowledge. So we know that's who Jesus is, but he, he, during this time, God is growing him, God the Father is growing God the Son to prepare him for the mission. And, we'll, and we'll, again, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But what about this John the Baptist guy? So who is he? So John the Baptist, it, it's not a, we, when we think Baptist nowadays, we think like Southern Baptist or Reformed Baptist. Or so, like th th that, there was no Baptist back then. Right? There was no Baptist church back then. So his title really ought to be John the Baptizer. It's describing what he did, not like his religious sect or something, because there wasn't a Baptist religious sect back then. So he's... John the baptizer, and he is Jesus' earthly cousin. So he is the one that at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Gabriel doesn't show up to Mary first. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah first. And he's all excited about it. He's like, you know, and your, and your son is going to be this, uh, he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, is what Gabriel, the angel, tells, uh, tells Zechariah, John's, John's father. And and he's all pumped about it. Zechariah does the thing about, well, how do I know you're telling me the truth and you're not lying to me? And Gabriel gets upset. We've talked about that a bunch of times. Shuts his mouth until John is born. But, but this idea, this prophecy that Gabriel gives his father of, he is going to be in the spirit and power of Elijah, comes up often when we're just talking about John the Baptist. So he is, he's the one that when Mary does, Mary has her visitation, she goes and stays with her, her aunt, who was John the Baptist mom elizabeth and when she shows up john the baptist in the womb of his mom jumps leaps for joy right because he knows that his like his earthly cousin who is the king of the universe is in his proximity and so there is something uniquely special about john we don't know how much his parents talked to him about like who he was or what his calling was or anything we just know that now we flash forward 30 years and here he is and so what does he do he starts to proclaim a message that, frankly, in their culture would have been better received than in ours. Because this idea, so, so he comes, and look at verse 2. He comes and he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, now as was already talked about even this morning, this idea of repentance doesn't sell well in America today. And frankly, it doesn't sell well anywhere in the world, really. This idea of repentance, that you have something you've done wrong, is something the enemy has really tried to take away from us. It's the, you do you, I'm okay, you're okay. Like, that, like that's, that's the world we live in. So to, to repent goes back to that first question. 
in, in order to repent, we have to have somehow have some acknowledgement and recognition that we have done something wrong, that we, have, that we are out of step, that there's been some damage done to a relationship. Otherwise, you're not repenting of anything. So he says, repent, that's the first thing. But that was not an uncommon message for Jewish people. Like, even the idea of ritual cleansing, which we call baptism, was something that they did on their own regularly in that culture. Because they understood, some of them understood, the distance between them and their, and their Heavenly Father. So, but, but what John is doing, so, so part of what's hard in this scene and the scene we're going to look at next week, is we have this picture of what baptism is for. And we'll talk more about it at the end of the message today and, and, and next week as well. But... We got to we got to get rid of this idea for now for this week for this message get rid of this idea of like what our view of baptism is our view of baptism is it's a proclamation of what God has done right and it, it's just it, it is telling your church community your family your new family of the decision that was made the difference that has been made in your life that you have now come to be a sealed believer in Jesus by the grace of God that's what we do for baptism for him. His baptism was a baptism of only of repentance. He was calling people, when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was, this, was an idea that they would have been familiar with. But his thing was, let go of your junk. But he was not calling them to turn to Jesus. So, what we have to, so, so our idea of repentance is obviously we're celebrating what Christ has done. That's, he, is not, he is only preparing the way. He's saying make room for the Messiah. Well, how do we make room? We have to let go of our junk. right? We have to stop living like this and like this and start living like this. Like, like this is how you receive what the Lord has for you. And so we need to live with our hands open um, and, and, and as just as a symbol even of having our hearts open. So one, he talks about this idea of repentance. And all he's really talking about is letting go, not grabbing hold of anything yet. The second thing is he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What in the world is that about? Well, one, we have this where we get our, our title, the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the kingdom because um, it's going to come up over and over and over again. But today, the piece of the kingdom that I want you to to glean from what, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, another way to say that would be is close by, is, is it, one of the ways to look at kingdom is that there is this ever-increasing um, realization of the kingdom of God. So as you go through scripture from Genesis, from the fall of Genesis in chapter 3, all the way to, to what, um, even what Sean read in Revelation 4 and beyond, there is this ever-increasing like unfolding of showing us the kingdom of God. So when John pops on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and by the way, he is personally baptizing people, which they did not do in their culture. They baptized themselves in their culture. They would, like, baptism looks like this. I've been there. I've seen, like, some of, like, they would literally just walk down these stairs or, like, or down into the river or in the temple. They had these big, where, um, in Acts chapter 2, when all the people get baptized, they had these big cistern things that had stairs in them. They would walk down there, and they would just kneel down, go under the water, and stand back up. It was a picture of ritual cleansing. So, so he is, even in the act of actually, now I'm going to come and baptize you as a picture of here's what Christ is going to do, because Christ is going to baptize us, and he's going to get there in a minute. He's unveiling another fold of the kingdom of God. 
He's saying this isn't something you do. This is something entirely of God, even your repentance. Now, the, so, so, so I was trying to think of a way to help you like this, uh, this unfolding or this, un, this, this ever-increasing unveiling of the kingdom of God. So here's, here's, an, here's a real-life example. So this summer um, in June, our, my wife and I celebrated our 27th anniversary. We were blessed to get to go up to um, Washington. We flew up there for a few days into one of what has become one of our favorite places, and it's Mount Baker. It's in Washington. And so um, I drew a sketch of Mount Baker while I was up there. So here it is. There it is. It doesn't show. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm pretty good, huh? No, it's not actually my sketch. But so, so I mean, guys, like Mount Baker is one of the most beautiful places Carrie and I have ever been. Does this sketch do it justice? Well, of course not. Well, maybe I took a black and white image of it, right? So there's a. So hey, here's a black and white picture of Mount Baker to give you a little more of a sense of what it's like. So it's better than a sketch, but it's not really the real thing. So so there's this black and white image. Now it's 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 a little clearer. But it's black and white. So, hey, how about this? I'll be like, uh, what's his name, the poofy hair dude? Bob Ross. I'll be the, yeah, see how you all knew that? That's weird. Um, so I'll be, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a color rendition of my drawing. So, so, because now color adds a certain amount of life. It's a little closer to being there, right? But here's the reality. For you, to, for, for you to at least even appreciate its beauty, you need to see an image of the real thing. So here's the picture that Carrie and I actually took at Mount Baker, right? But even this doesn't do it full. I mean, it gets us closer. It, this, uh, an image like this on a screen that was a little brighter might show, like, like, might get you enticed enough to go there, but it's not the same thing as being there, right? That's this unfolding of the kingdom. So early on, it was very black and white sketchy. Now what we have is, as spirit-filled believers with the kingdom in us, even though we're in this already but not yet place, right, is that we have, we have a better view of what the kingdom is, but it's still not the same thing as fully being there. So we talk a lot about this idea of the already but not yet, right, this idea that, that when, you, when you come to faith in Christ, so, so, the kingdom, so the kingdom is both like there and here because the, the, the fully realized kingdom is still is still not here it's the not yet fully done of revelation 22 or revelation 21 but it's already here in the john chapter 19 it is finished sense and so we live in this space sort of stuck between these two kingdoms so it's so so if the kingdom is already finished but not yet fully realized we're a people sort of stuck in the middle and john enters into this space to help Get people a little closer to the fully realized kingdom. I, I hope that sort of makes sense. So let's go back to um, let's go back to verse three of our passage. So you look at verse three, and we'll just and we'll keep going. He says, "For this is the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight.' So so that's the passage that Brian read as our calling passage. And again in Matthew, because Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is the promised one, the king. So he's pulling the Old Testament story forward. If we just keep going into, um, into um, verse 4, it says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and, leather, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And, and, and every time you read that, you're like, man, that's just weird. And it is. But there's purpose in the weirdness. Who is that describing? 
Who, when it says that he, that, he, that, he wore, that he wore a coat of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and honey, who is, he, is that describing? Elijah. Because in 2 Kings, I have it written down here, in 2 Kings um, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, in describing how Elijah looks, it describes him just this way. So, so this, is, this is an example of how John is fulfilling the prophecy that Gabriel gave him. He says, Gabriel says to, to, to John's son, father, your son is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. John starts, is living like an Old Testament prophet. In fact, he's living like the one that Jesus said is the most important Old Testament prophet. In fact, if you would, just do me a favor and turn to the, keep your finger, we're going to come right back to Matthew. Turn to the right of where we are to Luke chapter 7. I want to show you how important even this, this particular scene or this, this person, John, is to Jesus. So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is speaking here, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 24, and he's addressing um, people that are doubting him, which was pretty much his whole ministry here. And he says, in, in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Luke, he says, When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to, to the crowds concerning John. And he starts, asking, he starts asking them some sort of rhetorical questions. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He then, what then did you see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are the kings of courts. Then what did you go out to see? Because remember in the passage Evan read that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were also coming out to see, to see John. So, so Jesus is fronting them up going, what did you come to see? You, did you come to see a prophet? Yes, he says. And I tell you more, that, that this is the one in whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. And he will prepare a way before you. Last verse, I'll read verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. So this is Jesus' way of saying, John is the, is the most important. So if you were somebody to say, who is the most important prophet in the Bible? According to Jesus, it's John. Because John is the, is the fulfillment of, the, of Elijah's ministry frankly. And Elijah was the one like, that, that sort of um, exemplified all of the prophets of the Old Testament. When Jesus gets on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew chapter 17, so who does he stand with? Moses and Elijah. Because Moses is the, is the, fulfill, or the picture of the law, and Elijah is the picture of the prophet. Now here comes John, and John is Elijah, basically, in a, in, in a sense. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us here. So let's keep going in verse 5. And then it says, then then all of Jerusalem and, Ju and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were, going to were coming out to him. I just found that really I, like, interesting, that that's exactly what Jesus, it's this picture of Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region. Samaria would have been the region, right? What does Jesus say in Acts 1.8? You will receive power when you get the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It's like, it's like, it's like the Matthew is is pulling is pulling backward what Luke writes about in Acts chapter one. I, I just thought that was kind of a cool little aside. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So again, I just want to point this out again. 
The baptism that John was doing was not the picture of baptism we have today. We cannot equate those two things in our brain. There's been some really bad teaching on baptism that has to do with just this whole scene about like John's, um, about John's uh, ministry and baptizing, etc. So, so let me show you where, where kind of that um, comes from. So if you would, um, look at uh, Luke, I'm sorry, look at Acts chapter 19. So Acts is to the, to the right of where we are in Matthew. Look at Acts chapter 19. I'm just going gonna, gonna to read a few verses in, starting in chapter 1 in Acts 19. So, that, so, so here's his, his baptism. John, John's baptizing. His baptism is a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of, of let go, of preparing the way. And, so, um, and these people are coming from all over the place. But they don't hang out with John the whole time. So what ends up happening is some of these people come into the wilderness, get baptized in repentance... John is telling them, get yourself ready, the Messiah is coming, but some of them leave before Jesus shows up. So what happens here is it says, and what, so look at verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through an inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So he finds some people that are, that are trying to follow like the church's, the church's teaching. And it says, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Now, now so again, there's been some really bad teaching about baptism. We'll talk more about that next week because we're going to spend the whole time talking about the baptism of Jesus. And we would love to have people get baptized here next week. So if you have not been baptized, let us know. Let me know before you leave today or email me. And we would love to see you get baptized in our horse trough next week. But we need to know ahead of time. So let me know. And then, and then he says, and, and then he says uh, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized then? And, and they say, we were baptized into the baptism of John. So we were, ba- we were here's what they were baptized into. They were baptized into, guys, the, 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 the ritual cleansing of the time. John is saying, get yourself ready. He is not at that point, so we're back in Matthew, so go back to Matthew chapter 3. He's not saying, turn, here's Jesus, turn to him. He gets there. We'll, we'll get there next week. But right now, he's just saying, prepare your heart, let go. Let go so you can make room, right? And then, and what, and then in the meantime, some of these dudes, like the, these 12 men that were, in, that were in Acts chapter 19, they leave, and they never hear the second half of the story because Ephesus isn't anywhere near Jerusalem, and they didn't have the Internet or cell phones. Nobody could text them and go, hey, we know the end of the st- We know what John was talking about. So they're just hanging out until, G- until Paul shows up and fills in the blanks for them. So all that to say, now let's go back to, um, so that, that leads us to our second point. So our first thing is, so, so how do we, like, prepare the way? The first thing we have to do is we have to proclaim repentance. Guys, the first step to coming to faith in Christ is admitting our need. And we'll finish there at the end of the message as well. But the second thing, though, guys, is that we, um, that we need to, our lives then, as Christians, should prove our repentance. It isn't just a matter of, did I make a decision for Christ? That is not a phrase in the Bible. Now, there is a reality to the fact that we have to, do, we have to accept the offer after he stirs our spirit to do so. But making a decision, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, raising your hand, and being somehow in the kingdom, that is not described anywhere in Scripture. 
What is described in Scripture is what John is talking about right here. Look at verse 7. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the religious people, coming to, the bapti- to his baptism, to John's baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now what's that about? What does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What he's saying is, if you're really following God, your life should show it. So if you look at your, your, last, your third talking points question, if fruit is the evidence of faith, how should we live? So if, if what John is telling us is, hey, if you're really of Christ, bear fruit in keeping with that repentant heart. What should describe the Christian character? Now here's, here's the problem, guys. I immediately go to behavior. I am, and what I mean by behavior is I immediately go to do's and don'ts and morality. Now, we're going to see in a minute, it, that does matter to people. I mean, I, I mean, sorry, that does matter to Jesus. He does, he does care a great deal about our fruit production. But we need to define fruit his way, not our way. Not through some system of morality. Because... Th- That's exactly what the people John is fronting up were doing. What were the Pharisees and the Sadducees guilty of? Whitewashed tombs is what Jesus is going to call them. He's going to say, you guys are great at putting on the Christian show, but but as far as fruit, real fruit of the Spirit, I don't see it. So so what should define us? Well, here, I'm I'm not going to ask for it. Here are two places to go. We talked about these at the marriage retreat. First, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what should define. If we're Spirit-filled people, the fruit of the Spirit. Love. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23 if you're taking notes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We prayed through them last week during our prayer time. These are the things that, that should, when, when, when John is saying, Keep, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, let these things define your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Another place you could look, and again, we talked about this at the marriage treat, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. So if you want to talk about what does keeping in repentance look like, at the, at the retreat, we handed out a little handout. It looks like this. There, I put some out on the table out there in the lobby. You can grab one if you weren't at the retreat. You can grab one. But what we did is we just took the, the, the part of um, love is patient, love is kind, love does not seek its own, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we got rid of the word love, and we said, put your name there. You want to know what fruit in keeping with repentance looks like? Here's what it looks like. Doug is patient. Doug is kind. Doug does not envy or boast. Doug is not arrogant or rude. Doug does not insist on his own way, and I'll just stop there because none of those are true in my life nearly as much as they should be. And my guess is not yours either. But that's how we are to live. Back to the talking points question. As followers of Christ, as those keeping, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, when, when we hear bearing fruit, I'm, I'm, I've been praying for a few months now that our minds would change from this idea of, of do's and don'ts and morality to spirit-led fruit, the way God describes it. Patience, kindness, goodness, right? Forgiveness, 
seeing others as better than yourself. These are the things that Jesus cares deeply about. And we know that because he keeps going. He says, so John says in in verse 9 of Matthew 3, he says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we're Abraham's, Abraham's, and Abraham is our father, for he says, I tell you that even the stones can be children of God. He's he's flash forward and going, which is what we're going to see throughout the, the Gospel of Matthew, because God's people reject him. The Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles as well, comes to the whole world. We're the stones. Right? Even the stones can be children of God. And then he says, but even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That sounds really harsh. But it goes back to our point of like repentance doesn't sell. Neither does judgment. We got to get over that because both are necessary in the Christian experience. Right? Both are part of the biblical message. The gospel is not just put on Jesus because he loves you and your life will be better. In fact, that isn't, there are pieces of that that are true in the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is we are sinners who need to acknowledge that before a holy God and then embrace what he willingly wants to give us in his grace. So look at, again, last place I'll have you turn, I think, John chapter 15. Go to the right of where we are, John 15. Just so you don't go like, this was just, this was just a weird dude wearing um, fur and, and, and eat. Maybe, maybe John was delirious from eating nothing but locusts and honey, so he didn't really know what he was talking about when he's talking about throwing in the fire. Well, we're gonna, you're going to read in Matthew chapter um, 13, Jesus himself talks about the wheat and the tares and the tares being thrown in the fire. You read verse, when we get to Matthew 24 and 25, whenever that will be, Lord willing, um, we're going to see a whole lot of judgment coming out of the mouth of Jesus. But I just want to show you, even in a sweet passage, so look at John 15. This is Jesus speaking. And this is one that, man, I, I, this was one of my favorite passages from when I first became a Christian even. Because it really is a, a, a great picture of connection to Christ. He says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. I'm in verse 1. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it will bear more fruit. So he's talking about this connectedness. And, he, and then he goes and he says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Connect to me. Stay connected to me. This is how the Holy Spirit will flow through you. This is how you'll produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, if anyone does not abide in me, now get this, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone does not abide in me, does not stay connected to me, is not connected to me, he says, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. So abide in me and let my word abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For my Father is glorified in this, that you will bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So how do we prove that we're his disciples? By bearing his fruit. Not just by doing, not, not just by not doing what those people are doing. Like that's the, that is a low bar, right? He's like, no, I've set the bar way higher. And apparently 
it mattered a great deal to Jesus, according to what we just read. And that leads us to our last point. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to, and so we've already looked at how, so like, so how are you being used to prepare the kingdom, whether that be kind of like, like, culturally, and also in your own life, in your own heart, in your own family, etc. We proclaim repentance. We prove repentance by keeping in bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, by staying connected to him. And then we live in the assurance that our repentance is power-filled. Like once, you're, once you are saved, you are full. You have, you have access to, to limitless power because we have him. And so if you look at what he says, in, so you look at what John says here in, in, um, in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So one more time, I'll just mention it again. Hey, we're, if you haven't been baptized, we're having baptisms here. We'd love to have baptisms here next Sunday. Let us know. John's baptism was a baptism that was looking ahead. Right? John's baptism was a baptism that was, that was looking to, um, to, to what was to come, I guess would, would be a way to say it. It was preparing. It was, what do we let, like, repent, let go of your junk, but he wasn't yet telling them to turn. Our baptism, the baptism we, the kind of baptism we celebrate today as believers, believers' baptism, is a baptism of proclamation. Right? So, so there, there's a massive difference. So our baptism looks back at what Jesus has already done. John's was looking ahead to what was to come. He's saying, I baptize with water for repentance. So he's saying, I baptize to make room, to prepare. But there is one who is coming who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says, and the winnowing fork is at hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Guys, this is the why. This is why we need to be preparing the way. This is why if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to spend time repenting and turning to Christ. Right? Eternity is long and time is short. You don't, aren't guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. This is also why, as was prayed during our prayer time, we need to be proclaiming the beautiful truth of the gospel. Because what is in store is the winnowing fork and the threshing floor is coming. Right? Like that, that we have an opportunity in, in our baptism of the Holy Spirit to proclaim that we are fully, freely, and forever forgiven in Christ. That's what we have. Guys, in Christ there is no fear. When we read a verse like this as a follower of Christ, verse 11, that should not bring us fear, but it should inspire us to action. It should call us to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses, to, to share like the, what's going on because time is short and eternity is long and hell is still hot, but God is still saving people. Right? The, the gospel is still going forward. So as the music team comes up, and we talk about this idea of, of okay, so, so what does that look like for us to be fully, to, like to embrace and be able to share the message of, in Christ, 
I am fully, freely, and forever forgiven. I loved how the Holy Spirit worked out during our prayer time, how Debbie reads this, this passage in Colossians chapter 3 and prays this beautiful prayer over Colossians chapter 3. And, and um, one of the passages that Brian put up on the screen, I didn't know he was going to do this, is Colossians chapter 1. And so it's this idea, he's called us out of the darkness into this, his marvelous light. And chapter 3 is so, so keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated. And in chapter 2, Paul tells us, here's how that's even possible. Like, here's how it happened. So I'm just going to close our time by reading this amazing passage out of Colossians chapter 2. It says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands. He's not talking about, like, the medical procedure. He's saying putting on the body of the flesh, or putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So you've been made new. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the power of the working of God. Did you see that? You were buried with him in baptism. That's what our baptisms that we'll do here next week are, are symbolizing. They are looking back at when you were buried with him and then made alive with him. Right? That's ultimately why we celebrate baptism as a church. He goes on to verse 13, and you you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh but God made you alive together with him, forgiving the record of the death that stood against you. How? By nailing it to his cross. He destroyed it. The word that Paul uses in this passage for, for destroying the sin is annihilate. It's gone. That's what Christ offered. So I started with the question, the first question was like, so to seek and see forgiveness, what needs to happen? To seek and see, see forgiveness from the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's for the first time, and maybe it's you have just been living in shame because the enemy is guilting you, and there is no guilt in the body of Christ. There is no shame in the body of Christ. But, what, but in order to be released from that, even as a believer, in order to be able to let go of that, to repent of those lies, we need to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and let Him exalt you at the proper time. Our, our role in salvation, our role in preparing the way is to live in humility and, humble, like, and humbleness in gentleness, in brokenness, in admitting our need. But here's the beautiful part about the gospel, guys. When we do that, when I do that, whether it was for the first time to be made alive in Christ as a 20-something, or whether it's today because of something that I just, I, I know I'm still struggling with and I can't seem to do, go, I, I cannot pry my ridiculous fingers off of it. Here's the beauty of it. When I do say, Lord, I need your help to live like this. Here's the beauty. He meets you there. He meets me there. What's God's role? He always comes and says, I love you. I know you fully. I see you. Most of us, frankly, now we don't want to be seen because we live in shame. But he says, I see you, and there is no shame. In 
our Savior's eyes, there is no shame. He never, ever, ever looks at you disappointed. That is so, so hard for me to believe. But that's the gospel. Father, I do thank you for that beautiful truth. I thank you for your pursuing grace. I thank you that you have overcome the sin of our shame and the shame of our sin. I thank you that in Christ we are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. That we are fully known and deeply, deeply loved by the God of the universe. It is the best news in the world, and it's the news the world needs to hear. So, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of His Spirit that those in the sound of my voice that have not yet come into the kingdom of God, that today would be the day of their birth, and that we would celebrate that together. I pray for those who have been saved but have not yet made that proclamation of what you have done. I pray that they would come forward and be baptized. That they would sense that the, the renewing by the washing of your word as we are obedient to it in baptism. And Lord, I pray too that, that you would remind us that you always meet us that you are always walking out of our tomorrows into our todays and saying, hey, come on, just walk. Let us be a people that walk into the rest of today, tomorrow, this week, expecting to see your goodness.